The reason we're going over this is the pastor's appreciation for those who are listening by the internet and who are watching by video. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy was written by Paul to the church of Ephesus. Paul left Timothy there in Ephesus to establish that church. And Paul went to other places to establish churches because that's what apostles do. And he left Timothy there to do a good work and a good task. To watch over the flock and the congregation. To lead them to Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 to 11. This is why... When God loves a church, He'll give them a pastor. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, it does not mean that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all of the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave... The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until he attained to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about this morning, but here Paul was saying that evangelists, pastors, and teachers, Sunday school teachers, youth workers... Nursery workers are a gift to a church. If God hated a church, He would put a man in a pulpit. Yes, God allows churches to go apostate because God sovereignly rules over all things, doesn't He? Amen. He rules over the crack house as well as the house of the Lord. He is God and He reigns. There's not anything out from under His control. And God allows a man to enter a pulpit who has no integrity and no character, and lead the people to apostate faith. The reason being because of Romans chapter 1, that they will heap up teachers to tickle their ears. They don't want Christ, so they'll find preachers that don't preach Christ. But when God loves the people, when God loves a people who do not deserve His grace and His mercy, He'll send them a preacher, a teacher, a minister to preach and herald His name. To stand in the pulpit. To beat the pulpit. To its tears in His eyes. Tell you about a Jesus who saves sinners like me. Amen. I by no means am a perfect man. But I'm going to do all I can to stand on His promises and preach the Word of God. Amen. This is a gift to this congregation. When God sends godly deacons to a church... Men who will come along beside the preacher and undergird him and strengthen him. There's a, there's, a, uh, there's a chat room that we have a text where me and the deacons, we all go in and we don't go in there and goof around much. If you know us, you just know how we are. But we go in there and we pray for one another. We tell each other what we're facing. And they pray for me and I trust these men. And I'm thankful that God has risen up within this congregation People that I can trust. People who are not undercutting me, slicing me up from behind, but praying for me and supporting me. Thank you. It's pastor appreciation, but I want to thank you. Thank you, deacons, for coming behind me, encouraging me, strengthening me. When my knees buckle, you lift me up and carry me on. You tell me to stand on the promises of God. 
God and preach even though my voice squeaks. You tell me to preach. I leaned on Will's shoulder just a moment ago. I was crying all over the back of his vest. He don't even know it. But I was weeping because he's my friend. But more than that, he's a deacon. And I'm able to do that. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you, God, for lavishing peace and mercy on this congregation with deacons who come behind a preacher and encourage him and tell him, preach hard. They run me like sea biscuit. They shout me down. They say amen and tell me to keep preaching. And I'll do it as long as there's breath in my lungs. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. If you can't squeak out anything else, say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for showing mercy on this congregation. Congregation as a collective people. Say thank you, Jesus, that you sent your word. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for snatching me up. Thank you for when the preacher steps on my toes because my feet are in the wrong place. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. With that being said, turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. I know it's 11.02, but give me a couple minutes because you need to know this. I plan on retiring at Riverside. I plan on being here, pouring my life out. I don't want to be anywhere, anywhere else. And I'm trusting Jesus. But if there's, a, if there's a reason where God calls me home and feels like I'm better fit to be at His feet in His presence, oh, to die is gain, but it's beneficial to be here with you. But if God see fit and you have to audition or however you want to say it, uh, get a, a pulpit committee together, figure out who's going to fill this pulpit, this is what you find and this is what you hold them to the standard, including me. First Timothy chapter number 3. Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, if you're going to find a bishop, if you're going to find a preacher, an overseer, this is what you look for. First Timothy chapter number 3, this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is preacher or bishop, overseer of a people, uh, uh, one who looks over the congregation, he desires a noble thing, a noble task. In the King James it says a noble work. Task, work. Let me assure you, this is work. But don't think for a moment that preaching is all there is. This is the easiest thing I do. Some of y'all are joy to pastor. Some of y'all I enjoy to pastor. Some of y'all I need a lot of prayer to pastor. Don't look at them. But it's a task and it's a work. You don't go into ministry for the money and you sure don't do it for the people. You do it for Jesus. And it's a work. Because if I did it for the people, people will let you down. People will break your heart. People will pull the rug out from under you. But if you do it for Jesus, Jesus never lets you down. Even Jesus never crushes you. He never breaks your heart. And if He does break your heart, it's for good reason. If He breaks your heart, it's because your heart is stony and hard and He breaks it so it'll be soft. It's a noble task and it is a work. Let me assure you, it is a work. And coming into this thing as an evangelist, all I would do is go to a church before and just go and just preach and go out the door and let the preacher piece everything together. But here, I found... I found myself falling in love with the people, a congregation. And let me assure you, there have been people who left. There have. And it's like losing a part of your body when they leave. 
When they don't say, preacher, I found a better church or I don't like your style. You said something that broke my heart and I don't like what you said. Or I don't like you as a person. And sometimes they don't tell me anything. And it's like losing a finger. And you don't know why. And you weep. Because if you lose a part of your body and it don't hurt, then it was never attached to your body to begin with. Let's be honest. So when somebody left and I didn't weep, they were not a part of us anyway. And there's been times they left. That's fine. They'll find another preacher, someone who would, who, who would shepherd them and love them. I pray for that. But I found myself falling in love with God's congregation. And if you come from a background like me, that's not easy. You find yourself, you put up a wall and you keep it professional. You certainly don't weep in front of people. You don't want everybody to see you weak. I just can't help it. i got to be me. You're going to see my tears. You're going to see me uh, stutter and slur my speech and spit on everybody on the front row. That's just who I am. I fell in love with you. And it's a work and a task. What church can you go to where the deacon stands up and they put a chair out front and pray for your wife? That's church. I know there's big, fancy, professional church with smoke machines and lasers and loud music and they keep uh, everything on a schedule. I know all that, but give me this. <laughs> give me, give me this. Give me this where we'll just stop service and pray for somebody. Give me church. Thank you. But it says a, a task and a labor. I keep telling my little boys, I keep letting them know that one day you're going to grow up and you're going to have to work. I tell them that. But I tell them, find something that you love and it ain't work. I know it says it's a task and a labor, but when you love something or a people, it ain't a labor. It's an act of love. I appreciate you. Thank you. Some of y'all a little harder to pastor. Some of you aren't. But here, Paul is telling Timothy, it's a noble thing. It's a wonderful thing. I would be Heartbroken if my children aspired to be president instead of being a servant to Christ. I heard one missionary explain it like this. If his children were to ascend or descend from the throne to become president instead of preach the Word of God. What does that mean? That means love God more than anything and aspire to honor Him and serve Him. And that's what Timothy is here being told by his elder Paul that you desire a, a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That your preacher must be blameless. Someone cannot accuse them. And yes, they probably will accuse this preacher. But when you hear it, that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. Yeah, I can believe that. I, I see that. No, you say, no, I, I just can't believe that. Because of his character and his integrity. Above reproach. The husband of one wife. That he is a one-woman man. That the preacher doesn't have a side piece. And it don't even mean one at a time in a row. No, no, no. If a preacher has been divorced, look at that career of that preacher. Look at their Christian life. Was that divorce before they became a Christian or after they became a Christian? And notice, it says husband of one wife. Therefore, that disqualifies women as a preacher. Now, this may not go over good, but you take it up with the Bible. This is husband of one wife. Men are called to lead the church, not the women. Not that women are not equal or able or have the ability to, but God calls the man to lead the household and the church. Amen. Because it's his husband of one wife. Well, what if she's a lesbian? No, what? No, no. 
I figure I get a snicker over here. But it says here, husband of one wife. But what if she's, he's been divorced? Was that while he was in ministry serving God? Because it should be unheard of that a Christian finds himself in divorce. Amen. The Bible tells us, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Amen. Wives, respect your husbands. It should be unheard of that a Christian finds himself in a, in a divorce. However, there is a such thing as a biblical divorce. There is a such thing as a biblical divorce. And you may not have never heard that, but I'm not preaching on divorce today. I'm preaching on the qualifications of a pastor. For an example, Andy Stanley, a well-renowned preacher, for years has been on television, has preached to God, has, has not compromised, preached the Word of God. And his wife wrote him a letter saying, I cannot be married to you anymore. Does that mean he's disqualified as a pastor? No, biblically speaking, she wanted out of the marriage. And it was a biblical divorce because she was falling out of repentance. That does not mean he loses his pulpit. That does not mean he does not serve faithfully. That does not mean he didn't do everything God required him to do. See, foolishly, we would take our Bibles, us men, we would go home and read everything that the woman should do. You're supposed to respect me and do this this way and speak this way. We would browbeat our children with the Bible and say, you're supposed to honor me. But we seem to skim over the parts that we're supposed to do, what we're responsible for. And as your preacher, I'm called to be above reproach, to be a one-woman man, to love her, to honor her and cherish her. Paul tells Timothy, To be sober-minded. To not be caught away with lofty ideas. To not be distracted. To keep my eyes on the flock. I should have two tones of voice. You may not be able to tell it. But I should have two tones. One should be to comfort the people. To tell them the good news of the gospel. And another tone to call out the wolves. Watch out for that one. Be careful of this teaching. Do not follow that preaching that I should be sober-minded, not be starry-eyed, distracted. I should be self-controlled. The preacher should be self-controlled physically, mentally, and spiritually. Disciplined. That I don't go to a buffet, dive headfirst into the buffet, uh, uh, living to the appetites of my belly. That I should not dig my grave with my spoon. Because if I take care of this temple, it will give me many years standing in this pulpit, able-bodied to preach the gospel, self-controlled. I should beat my body into submission, beating the sin out of me, trusting God, self-controlled, respectable, that I should be one who respects others, to show honor to those who are gray-haired and those who are still wet behind the ears. Even if you do not earn it, I still should respect you. I should be hospitable. I should be approachable. There should not be a moment where you should not feel like you can't come to me and speak to me. You shouldn't think that I'm taking time out of taking up your time, that you're not worth it. I'm hospitable, able to entertain and speak to you, talk to you. I should be apt to teach. I should be able to explain the words and the teaching of God in a way that you understand. I remember when I first came here, I had a lot of people who would come and say, 
My husband would have loved you because you make it so simple. You, you make it where anybody can understand. If my ego was really large, I'd say, well, what do you mean that I'm just so simple? What is that supposed to mean? I, it would insult me, but I understood what they meant. Because Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, was a preacher. He said, if you can't explain it to children, you don't know it well enough. Amen. That was a weak amen, but okay, we'll keep going. <coughs> App to teach. If you can't explain it to little ones, you don't know it well enough. That Jesus died for broken people. And you heard me say it a thousand times because that's all there is. Amen, somebody. Here, he tells him, not a drunkard, not one given to wine, not one to drink, be elusive, to lose my common sense. The reason he says that, he takes it from Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9. You can write this in your parentheses in your Bible. It says, drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. In Leviticus, Aaron is told that when he ministers unto the Lord, that he is to do it sober-minded about his wits, able to, to have common sense, to be able to distinguish truth from truth, that I should be sober-minded, have logic and understanding, having my doctrine separated and understood, that I should be sober-minded, not drunk, there have been many times, to be honest, that I've stood in this pulpit and boy, I needed some ibuprofen or something. And I wouldn't do it. And sometimes I have done it. And I would warn the congregation, I just took some ibuprofen, this is going to be a good sermon or it's going to be bad, I don't know. But here, it tells us to be the preacher, to be sober-minded. Not violent, but gentle. Not one to quarrel and stir up strife and argue. If anything, I don't like arguing. Well, my wife thinks differently, but I do not like arguing. I do not like to stir up trouble just for the sake of trouble. There are those who are contentious. There are those... See, you notice I'm edifying the points that I'm good at, and I don't mention the ones that I'm not. If you notice that, because you pinpoint the preacher and see his flaws and know that he is flesh and he needs your prayers. I don't stir it up, and I don't. I'm not quarrelsome. I'm not a lover of money. I didn't come to Riverside for the money, I guarantee you. And I'm not staying for the money. I'm staying because this is where God established me. I'm staying because this is where God said, put your roots out and preach my word. Shake the swamp and let everybody know that I'm God and I reign. Amen. He says, not a lover of money, not one who's enticed with all the things that glimmer and gold. That, that, not one that's trying to lure people in to give him something. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well with dignity, keeping his children in submission. If you want to know a preacher, what he's really like, look at his family. If you want to know if a preacher really lives the way he ought to, look at the way his children carry themselves. Do they have a confession of faith? Do they believe that Jesus died for sinners? Look at the child. Look at the children. Look at when the father speaks. Do the children roll their eyes? Or do they submit? Not with an anger beating until they beat the child into submission. No, with an honor and respect. Uh, there is one of my favorite preachers, John Piper, who have been in ministry for years at Bethel there in Texas. 
And then his children were in their 20s. However, they still lived in his household. And there was a day he was standing in the pulpit and his oldest son was living a lavish, a lavish lifestyle, wicked lifestyle. However, he had a confession of faith and he was a member of that congregation. He stood in the pulpit and said, next week I'll resign as a pastor. Not because there was a scandal on him. Not because there's rumors about him as a preacher. He was an excellent expositor. He preached mightily. He weighed 110 pounds. But when he preached in the pulpit, you would think he was a silverback gorilla. He preached with a mighty thunder. However, he brought this verse to the forefront of his congregation and says, I can't call my children to submission. I can't leave my household the way I ought. And that 20-year-old son seeing his father about to resign his position, shook him to the core. He repented of his sins and trusted in Christ where he stood. Amen. Why don't we have more preachers like that? Amen. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to me. Kevin, why can't you preach like that? Kevin, why can't you thunder like that? Why can't you be honest and stand on the firm promises of Christ? Kevin, your voice may squeak, your knees may knock, the burdens may be heavy, and the task hard ahead of you. But lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Amen. The preacher, not a lover of money, manages his household well. With dignity. He does it with dignity over his household. He doesn't strip your children and humiliate them into submission. He does it and leads he doesn't push them like a sheepdog from behind, yapping at their knees and causing them to run. He leads. He leads them to Christ. He walks ahead of them. If he leads his family well, he'll lead the congregation well. Church, pray that I lead my family well. Pray that I lead my children to the cross, not beat them till they run to the cross. Pray that I love my wife. Pray that I spend and devote my time to study, to implant in them good theology when we're suffering, that they won't turn their little eyes to Daddy who has tears in his eyes and become angry at God because we're hurting. Pray when they see the dark side of the church, when they see angry church members tearing the preacher down, that they don't get angry at God and get angry at church people, put up walls and are separated from God forever. Pray! Pray for my wife at the dinner table when I'm not there. I'm at seminary or I'm at some hospital bed. That she doesn't consider the church a mistress because I'm always working for the mistress known as the church and never being able to be a groomsman to her. Pray. Do you know how many marriages break up over church? Do you know how many ministers are thrown into the wood chipper because of church? Pray that I don't slaughter my family on the altar of ministry to be successful for church. Pray that I serve Jesus undauntedly. I fall in love with Jesus. What good is it if I succeed at church and fail in my household? What good is it if I lose my family but Riverside grows to be thousands of members the world renowned and people applaud me but my own children don't know me. What good is it? Pray for your preacher. Pray for your minister. Pray for your... And I hadn't been able to say it, but I'm going to say it. I don't care. Pray for your pastor. 
Paul warns Timothy of this task that he has before him. That I'll manage my household well in verse 5. Or however will I care for the household of God's church. Verse number 6 tells us that Paul tells Timothy when you appoint pastors that they are not recent converts. They're not someone who just got saved the week ahead. And now they're in a pulpit preaching the mysteries and the greatness of God. The reason being because of pride. See, pride is the only sin that would change an angel into a devil. Because that's exactly what happened. As Satan was there in the throne room of God and he started to focus on himself, believing it's all about him, changing an angel into a devil. There's no eye in grace, but there she was an eye in sin and in pride. Here we see that a preacher should not be a novice. They should have some experience. They should have walked through the valleys. Climbed the rough side of the mountain. Been through many victories and many more defeats. Be broken before God. Not new on the scene. If there's a convert in here who has just fell in love with Jesus, we should not put a microphone in their hand and say, go to the pulpit and preach. No, we should sit back, watch them, pray over them, walk with them. Let them mature in Christ. Because pride, pride would seep up on them and they don't even realize it. Believing. That they are an MVP. That someone's special. That they're, they're not one who's afflicted by other sins like everybody else. That they're, they're immune to those things. They should not be novices. New. They should go through many defeats. They should shed many tears. They should cry themselves to sleep at night. They should have to wrestle with their anxieties until they... Face victory. Let them not be new. Let them manage their household well. Let them not be quarrelsome. Let them be self-controlled and sober-minded. A husband of one wife. Let them be noble. Verse 7, moreover, he shall be well thought of by outsiders. That the reputation of the preacher should be well thought of outside in the community. But consider the source if the drug dealer don't like the preacher, there's a reason. Maybe he owes him money. I don't know. Or maybe he's preaching the gospel and it's convicting the drug dealer. The truth of the matter is, you can never be neutral about a true man of God. Either you will hate what he's saying or mirror it and say, I don't like that preacher. I don't like him personally. You can never be neutral about a true man of God preaching God's holy word. You can't walk away saying, nah, I can take him or leave him. Either you love him or you hate him. Amen. But here, Paul tells Timothy that those outside the church should think highly of that person. That he pays his bills. That he's honest. He walks in character and integrity. Even when it looks like he can slight his way to manipulate things. That he doesn't. He does what's God honoring. Even if it hurts. Even if he loses in the long run. He should be well thought of outside the church so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Because if I look at 
the qualifications of an overseer, qualifications of a preacher. Who can do these things? Who? Don't think your preacher can do all this. Come on. Let's be honest. This is crazy. I'm sure you've been here on a Wednesday night and see my kids run up and down the hall and they didn't listen. I'm sure I said something off color in the parking lot. And you go, well, he's the preacher. He shouldn't have said that. Well, if you know me, you would say, well, I ain't surprised. How can the preacher do that? How can he, he let that deal go delinquent? How? How he's supposed to be sober-minded all the time, vigilant and alert and awake. Who's suitable for this type of ministry? Who can do this? Who's equipped? Who's naturally a natural-born leader? Zeal and passion. Who? Who can do this? 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, To one a fragrance from death to death. To the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Let me assure you, your preacher who's standing in this pulpit now is not sufficient. He's not able. Within myself, I cannot do these things. It's only by grace. It's only by mercy. It's only by being animated by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. In Titus 1, 5-9, through 9, these are the other qualifications for a preacher. This is why I left you in Crete, as Paul is writing to Titus in Crete. He says, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. And verse 6, he says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, and not open to the change or debauchery of insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or for greedy gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, and a self-controlled man, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. He also tells Timothy in Acts chapter 20 verse 28, Be careful and pay attention to yourselves and to your flock. He tells Timothy to pay attention to himself and to the flock. Congregation, your preacher may not just preach the Word of God. He must live it. He must walk it out. The best sermons are those that are lived, not preached. The best sermons are caught, not taught. The best sermons come from tears of experience, years and tears of experience. Why do you think I preach so hard on anxiety? Trusting God, having faith. Brokenness and grace. Why do you think I love grace so much? Because it's His grace and His grace alone this preacher is able to stand here today and preach. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, keep, keep a watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. There have been times I have preached and my heart be far from what I'm saying. I'm just being honest. Some people say, Kevin, you're too honest. I, just being honest. That I didn't even believe the words I was speaking. I can work up a crowd into a frenzy because I know how to do that. I come from those backgrounds of churches that put on productions. They get on the organ and they go, ah, and everybody dances around. I've done all that. And it's all a show. And there was one point in my life where I thought it was nothing more than a show. That church is nothing more than a production. Until God shook me to the core. 
converted me and changed me. Put His Word deep within me. Anointed me. Are you bragging on your anointing? No, I'm bragging on Him. If God can take a broken, dead man in his trespasses and sins, put his word in his heart and his soul and make him stand for, before a people and tell of his grace and his mercy, God can do anything. Amen. So who is suitable for this pulpit? Who's qualified to stand in this pulpit? No one. As much grace as you need to carry out the things you do in life. I need much more. I need much more. When the wood is wet, the heart is cold. The spirit is smoldering. I need God to quicken me, strengthen me. Give me clarity of mind. Use me in a mighty way. So my deacons, I know you're praying. And church, I know you're praying. And if you don't have anything to pray about, put me and my family on the top of your list. I ain't never had a, a pastor appreciation like this. It don't even bother me that y'all didn't remember. I forgot too. It don't matter. It's okay. But I tell you what. Word, the word appreciate ain't even enough, strong enough to tell you what you mean to me. I'm exceedingly grateful and thankful. Not to just be your preacher and believe that I'm on stage, on a pedestal, speaking with authority. No. That your brothers and sisters in Christ, just like me, Amen. walking out your faith with fear and trembling, trusting God every step of the way. And even if it's dark and you can't see the road, you still step out on faith knowing that it, if the ground ain't there, it'll form under your foot because that's the kind of God we serve. Amen. So congregation, if you would, pray for your preacher. Pray for your deacons, your Sunday school teacher, because God has done a miraculous work here. And it ain't even these pretty chandeliers and nice carpet and flat screen TVs. We were dealt a death blow. And I ain't even talking about the flood. I'm talking about coldness of heart. No, no willing not to have revival and stirredness. And God has kissed this place and blessed us. And I don't mean that I'm the blessing. I believe that He's the blessing. He gave us Himself. He has revealed Himself to us. He has broken people's hearts here. As I've been here and I've preached the Word of God, I've seen grown men weep and cry before the power of the living God. I've seen people come to this altar and cry out to a living God to save their children, to touch their mind, to give them peace. I've seen God move in a miraculous way here at Riverside. Amen. And we're just getting started. Like I heard somebody just pray, thank you, Jesus. Let us bow our heads and pray. Father, on this beautiful Pastor Appreciation Sunday, I'm at a loss for words and all I can say is thank you, Jesus. I'm thankful that you've put me in a place with people who believe in prayer. I'm thankful that I get to walk on this journey with other believers. And it's not just a country club where we get together and rub elbows with other believers not really believing what your word says. I'm thankful that I've been in some battles with some of these believers. I'm thankful that I've seen storms with them. I'm thankful that their faith has been tested and they find themselves approved. Lord, I pray that your hand will be upon us for whatever storms may be ahead.
Whatever sicknesses will be around the bend, whatever worries and anxieties will face tomorrow, that you're God and nothing has changed. You're from everlasting to everlasting. You set the foundations of the earth. You set the cornerstones. God, you reign. You rule over all of creation. All of it is yours and you scream, mine, mine, mine. And that includes me. So Father, on this Pastor Appreciation Day, Lord, I truly appreciate these people. I appreciate their heart. I appreciate their battle scars. I appreciate their prayers. And Lord, I pray that you equip us for the work that's ahead. That now they know what to expect from a preacher. That they look at me through the lens of the Scripture and know this is my requirements. Because Lord, I need your fences. I need your boundaries. I need your word spoken over me. Because my heart is prone to wonder. And I must be held accountable to the congregation, the deacons, and the leadership. Father, that you will receive glory in this place. I'm not above reproach. I'm not uh, one who's going to always have it all together and the right answers. And Lord, I need to be surrounded by those who would say, no preacher, this is what Scripture says and we stand on that alone. Father, let me not preach my opinion here. Not second opinion, chapter 13. But Lord, let me speak the holy writ of God and so saith the Lord from the very throne room of God. From His, from His lips to our ears, let me speak Your Word. Let me be faithful. Let me lead my household well. Let me honor you and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.